Hey everybody, this is Jordan Bovey uh, on here, uh, Ice Cream Sunday podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, basically bits and pieces of my life story and my battle with addiction and just kind of random moments of success and, and failure and uh, just a little tiny bit of advice for right now. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the Ice Cream Sunday podcast. So where does this story begin with you and alcohol? First drink was 14. Okay. So, um, but was this like a, was this at a party? Was this just like parents liquor cabinet? If I can remember correctly, I think it was, uh, we were living in on the Dodge street house. So right by the slab in Greenfield, Okay, just off the road from the high school. And I want to say it was like UV blue and Mountain Dew. And there was a group of us in a circle. Uh, we we might have actually, no, we weren't out of that house yet. Nobody was home for sure. I think my mom had just started seeing my stepdad. And so I was like, oh, yeah, party, man. And we got that stuff and sat in a circle and passed it around until it was gone. Was um, It was definitely vodka. Yeah, your, the UV. Your first drink, your first experience, like was – the addiction was this something that was like right away you're like fuck i love this like i gotta have this or was this something that developed over time um i i almost kind of want to say it was like both if that makes any sense like i knew that it made me feel like hella good and excited about stuff because at that point there wasn't a whole lot of things and people that i was excited about and I was like, you know what? I mean, it's, it's, just, small, it's small town it's, Iowa. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's Greenfield, yeah. Iowa. And no offense to Greenfield, we literally just published an episode that's like, we love Greenfield. But mm-hmm, at the same yeah. time, like, God, when you're a kid growing up there yeah. and, and you see, like, I feel like it's safe to say, like, you and I both kind of grew up on, like, hip hop culture and mm-hmm. BET showed up on our TVs and we're oh, like, yeah. fuck, that, that, that's what we want. And we're living yeah. in, a, in a community with, like, culture and music and shit it's like this isn't us at all and you like it kind of depresses you a little bit you're like fuck like everything i want it's like none of it's here right you know right if you don't wear coveralls you can't kick it yeah exactly and like so keep in mind we had gotten there my eighth grade year from virginia so that hip-hop culture and all that stuff that was everywhere right yeah that makes sense yeah yeah we moved back and then you know our world got a little split up that's when my parents decided to split and I was young and I've always been emotional and like took a long, long time to figure out those emotions. And obviously at 14, I was like, nah, fuck everybody. Yeah. Um, didn't, I, I was, alcohol just made me feel good things and forget the bad stuff. And then I became like a life of the party type thing when it's like, all right, y'all don't like me at school, but when we go to this party, like everybody's when I, yeah. Like when I had the liquor vibing. in me and yeah. Yeah. We got along and uh, yeah, 14. So I, I think I chased the almost like a popularity feeling that I had with that. I mean, and yeah, I was good at sports too. So people liked me because of the sports aspect. Mm -hmm. Like I brought something to the team, but, um, as far as like friendships, I think I, you know, I could count on a hand of how many were pretty solid. Yeah. You know, I think like it was the same way with me when I got into college and I started like smoking weed, Mm -hmm. I was like, man, like I I'm not like the popular dude. I'm actually kind of shy. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm high and at parties, like I'll talk to anyone. Right. Like, everyone's my friend. Right. Um, everyone's my friend because I have weed on me. Exactly. And it's not legal in Missouri, like in 2007. When I'm, so mm-hmm. like, I'm mm-hmm. life of the party then. Mm-hmm. So um, talk a little bit about that. Cause it sounds like a, a lot of that came from like a, um, maybe like a lack of confidence in like your personality or mm-hmm. um, was there like a, undiagnosed anxiety a little bit of depression there yeah so i definitely i had adhd that was a diagnosis i feel like a lot of kids even back in that time when i was like eight nine ten people were getting diagnosed with adhd left and right and it was right to some medicine man ritalin what like stratera or something like that and then adderall 
that was like so common for everybody. So I was always impulsive. I was like, couldn't focus in school, which is why I didn't really want to go to college. I wasn't successful. I didn't care about grades because like, bro, I didn't want to sit in that classroom. Sure. And I think, you know, most of it was just, I didn't connect with teachers except for Derb, man. Derb's a Hell shit. yeah, dude. I talked about that. It seemed like everyone, like. That dude, yeah. He, he was there was for me on, on like matters that had nothing to do with school. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I felt comfortable going to that dude's doorstep and chilling and Derb talking to him. Seemed like the guy that was like, if you were like a little bit of an outcast or like. Exactly. Like a social awkwardness or anything like mm-hmm. Derb seemed to like gravitate toward that like really sure. connect with the kids that are like well obviously he's an art teacher so like you know yeah. he's he's got yeah. a little bit of that like awkwardness in him himself uh-huh. but yeah he just seemed like the most genuine dude like there's there's so few teachers and not to throw anybody under the bus but it seems like there's so few teachers that really really want to connect with their students mm-hmm. and he was definitely one of them and as kooky and crazy and as much as i fucking hated their his classes because they were hard i feel like uh mr clark science teacher was another one of those that's like i want like i want you to have the same passion for science that i do you know Mm -hmm. like um also side note science teacher biology teacher uh mrs mccutcheon says hi what yeah so i was talking (laughs) with gabe carroll the mayor of creston yeah yeah yeah. trying to get him convinced that he needs to be our live guest for the live event in creston yeah makes the most sense like we're gonna do a podcast in creston why not have the mayor of creston be our guest so he's sitting um he's sitting there and he's texting me and he sends me a picture and he goes uh what is mrs mccutcheon's name he said he calls her by her first name she says he says she says hi and i was like Norma, Norma McKitchen. Yeah, you he go. goes. Norma says hi. And I was like, Norma, Norma. I took a really good hard look because she's cut her hair since the like I saw her because I was like it fifteen was always years past ago. Shoulders. Yeah, so she's cut her hair, and I was like, Norma. And I was like, Oh shit! And I was like, I haven't seen Norma in like decades, like probably yeah. fifteen years or so. But yeah, and he, he was like, Yeah, Norma's one of the ones that really convinced me to be on your show. He was like, She says That's that awesome. she's. Uh, you know, you guys were students and you're really good kids. And I was like, that's awesome that she went to bat for us. And, you know, but yeah. Anyway. Um, kind of follow along the same lines. Um, I, I uh, Melanie, mm-hmm. um, her, her kids were supposed to go to a, a dance, mm-hmm. but couldn't go because the person they were supposed to go with. Oh, right. I remember this was like a daddy daughter yeah. dance situation. Got it. Got it. So <clears throat> I went out there. I, I like I said, I'm coming. Give me like an hour. I'll be there. Get out there. I go with them. And um, the social studies teacher. Uh, Krug? No, no, no. For high school. Jensen. Oh. Jen- yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Miss Jensen. I, I went up to her and I'm like, hey, uh. I don't know if you remember me, but like, you know, you were like my favorite, one of my favorite teachers back mm-hmm. in the day, you know, and she didn't remember me, but, she, but she, she like played it off. Like, she <laughs> yeah. did. but no, she was a pretty dope yeah, teacher. Mrs. Too. J was cool. She yeah. was cool. When does the addiction come into play? When is it like, it's, it's more than just like social drinking. It, it becomes a real problem. Uh, I was in my twenties. Um, I mean like late I know I lost jobs before that because, well, like a group of us would go to Apple River for the 4th of July and I quit Cardinal probably twice to go to that because I asked for it off and they're like, eh, probably not. You ain't been here long enough. I was like, see ya. <laughs> Thought it was cool, man. Like I was going to I was to not party. asking you that I'm not going to be there. I'm telling yeah, you I'm not going to be there. Straight up. Yeah. It was the first time I worked at Cardinal. I actually told my like, whatever they called him. Like he was a boss. Um, I can't remember the dude's name. Young. He was cool, but I just looked at him. I was like, yeah, so I didn't get that day off that weekend but like i'm going he's like well don't come back i was like okay so i was making bad decisions before i was 20 um and when i was 20 the year i was supposed to turn 21 i got my first owi yep i was in ames partying and they you know i was blackout drunk and then came to with police lights behind me and i had my buddy in my in my car with me so not only did i get in trouble he got an mip um And at that, you know, I would say that's probably when like the addiction happened because I was just doing uncontrollable, like not smart things. And I didn't care about what was going to happen afterwards. I didn't, I didn't even have the knowledge to like stop myself and be like, Hey, if you do this, like 
your best friend could probably go to jail too. Mm -hmm. Or like you could wreck your car. Um, when I got pulled over, I like had no clue what was going on. Knew I was getting arrested, sat in jail for 10 days. Um, got out after that. And I had to call that friend and ask him what happened. Cause I was like, how did I even get in the car? Why did you let me drive? And he's like, yeah, well, we went to the place we were supposed to stay at. And, uh, Basically, the dude that was going to let us stay there was arguing with his girlfriend, and I guess he pushed his girlfriend, and my buddy said, you got up off the couch, decked him, and said, we're leaving. Uh, it wasn't any of my business, but I guess, like, drunk Jordan wanted to be hero all the time, you know? And he said that I just was, like, power walking to my car, and he couldn't stop me, and got in. I was going, like, 45 on the interstate, and, like, hitting the grass in between both sides of the interstate. Jesus. And I got pulled over. And one thing I remember from that night, it's not, it's not really about the addiction part, but it's funny. Um, I was that female's first arrest. <laughs> yeah. They high-fived right in front of me as I was cuffed on the bench. You know, first OWI. I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> turned 21 that year. And it was two years after that, I got my second OWI in 2015. Jesse Lund pulled me over. He was going to let me go. I want to add that in there. He was oh, going to let me go, man. Totally we forgot had like Jesse Lund was a 25, 20, 25 minute conversation I about totally whether or not he forgot. should just let me go home. And uh, the person that was with me, I won't drop his name, but uh, Jesse looked at this kid and he's like, if you're okay to drive, I'll let you take him home. And the dude flat out said, I had a beer. I shouldn't drive. So then Jesse looked at me. He's like, yep, I got to arrest you. Second OWI. It was my fault. You know what I mean? But like dude had the opportunity if he ever hears it like he'll know who i'm talking about um he had the opportunity to not let that happen yeah but things happen you know we were both we were all young and stuff was stupid i made um so you said you started drinking at 14 14 yeah, yeah. so and my the, the addiction was definitely like i i really want to say like the full-on just raging all the time man drinking in the morning was when, like late 20s for when me. when did you feel like you you started drinking more regularly in between that like uh 14 to like 20 year old range man uh 17 18 like junior year um so so up until like 14 to 17 it was just kind of maybe like a, it was like, like a weekend i want to go to this party to be cool and yeah, drink with more, my, my older more brother more socially you know? than like i need it yeah because yeah. like okay. when we got back and all through high school i didn't really get along with people in my grade a lot of them didn't like me i knew they all talked shit about me um i just wasn't mentally i think i just and surroundings too man like i just didn't agree with the things that they did or want to do the same shit so i kicked it with my brother tyler's age and he's three years above me which sure you know justin shannon moved to, yep. uh, to town yep. from california and he played ball and so that him being friends with my brother tyler and then uh you know i just started hanging out with those guys and then um yeah there's a few people in my grade that we would vibe every now and then and depending on what sport was going on, people liked me or they didn't. But like, I just really didn't like people in my grade. I just me, didn't do let it. Let me ask you a question. I guess I'm coming at this from a personal, like my personal perspective. Um, you're hanging out with, with Tyler. You're hanging out with like Justin Shannon. Mm -hmm. um, you said that it really got bad when you were like in your twenties. Mm -hmm. Do you think that like Justin graduates, he goes off to and plays ball in college um, Tyler graduates and I don't know what, what he did, but like, do you think a lot of the, the problems and, and alcohol becoming a bigger issue is you don't have like those two guys to like help ground you at that point or at that point? No. Why do you think it got worse than like, it was my, it, it was inner problems. Um, I was never like manipulated or like yanked a certain way by other people. I made my own decisions a lot that people, and that's what people don't know. Like when junior and I started getting in trouble together, I was the one who decided to do those things. Yeah. And I had to explain that to my mom later on in life. Cause she was like, Oh, you always got in trouble with him. I'm like, look, man, it wasn't his choice. He just rolled with me. Yeah. You know, like junior's my ride or die and still has been all these years. I met him when I was in eighth grade, you know? And, uh, but it, it was never anything like Justin or my brother Tyler. Uh, he he never made they never made me do anything. I just I just meant you know, like, it, do you think it got worse in your twenties because you didn't have them there uh, to like kind of reel yeah, you back? You know I, I, mean? I don't I don't I really don't think that was it either. You know it they it would have been cool to have them around. Which I mean I saw them a lot after high school. Sure, like, sure. My brother no because he went into the Marine Corps. 
Mm-hmm. Tyler went to the Marine Corps, oh, that's and right. um, that's when Justin and I got really close because uh, my brother basically told him, like, hey, look out for him, man, because he's wild and does things he shouldn't do. And um, luckily, like, that alone, Justin, Jordan Zimmerlein, um, Michael yeah. Graham, uh, those yeah. guys, like, looked out for me. In a lot of situations that drunk Jordan would have got beat up or at least tossed around a little bit if it weren't for those guys, you know? So like I, we were a group, man. And, um, for the longest time, you know, Justin was like family to me too. And you know, now it's just, we're grown and he's got his family and I just don't go to Greenfield that much. But back then, no, the, the whole diving into the alcohol full bore, like drinking in the mornings and doing it whenever I wanted to, it was all stuff like insecurities for me. Um, things that like would go on in my brain and I wouldn't tell people because at this point I'm too young. I was doing jobs where I was making good enough money and I thought that was enough success for me. I was still getting with any woman I wanted to get with, um, which was probably another addiction at that point was women. Sure. Because like, and this isn't me bragging at all, but it wasn't hard to get with a woman back then, Mm -hmm. a girl. We're all young. It was in everybody's mind. If you said the right thing, it happened and it happened a lot. So, uh, but when those, as I got older, I guess, like I just... It was like I didn't know who I was, who I wanted to be. I knew who I wanted to be, I guess. Um, but those things weren't happening because this alcohol was just getting worse and worse and worse. But I couldn't pinpoint that. Like I, I couldn't, I didn't have the knowledge and the people. There were some people in my life that like tried to get me involved with AA. Um, Justin's dad, Marty, was amazing and still is. That dude has like been a rock solid guy for me. Uh, took me to my first AA meeting. You know, so there's people that tried to get me help, but I didn't want to hear it. So going back to like, it's it's easy to to hook up with women, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So obviously you have like some charisma there, some confidence. What were some of the insecurities then on the other side of the spectrum for you at that at that age? Knowing that a lot of people didn't like me and like in Greenfield or any small town, you eventually hear the word that's going around about sure. you. Um, you know, I, I had charges other than OWIs before that. And, um, it gets talked about, you know, and I think that's my first love was basketball. I was tied to sports and I was like, I was good, but I wasn't playing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why am I not playing? Why is this fool not playing me? You know, greatest coach that I've ever met in my life and probably ever will, but he don't want to play me. Well, it's because you're out being a little dipshit. And he doesn't need that type of attraction on his court. Sure. You know, I thought I was earning it just by going to basketball practice and going to all those things in the summertime. So that's just an example of like things that I couldn't see. And then I would use that as an excuse to go party on the weekend and be like, forget it, man. That's I'm going to go focus on soccer. But I still got hammered every weekend, Mm -hmm. every weekend. And it's because I knew people didn't really care for me. Um, And there's a lot that I was wrong about as I've grown older. Um, but at that time it was like, well, when I'm drunk and I'm, and I was smoking weed back then, I didn't care what anybody thought about me. Yeah. It gave me a confidence boost because I mean, you either know you're messing up or you really flat out don't. And I was like halfway in between both of those. Um, I just didn't want to deal with it. After say like the day after the come down from, from getting high or, or drinking or whatever, um, mm-hmm. uh, what were what what would you feel afterwards like would you feel just like even shittier would you feel uh, a relief if if any or or anything like that or so early on um i didn't feel anything like i didn't feel too shitty unless it was like you're waking up after the weekend you just lost your job for apple river you know or or like if I got broken up with at the point, whoever I was with, if I woke up and I'm not, well, I'm not drunk and now I'm single and oh, great. You know, that the moments of like regret came when I would came lose like a, would yeah, would lose like a job. Um, but as I got older in life and like when it really, really started getting bad and I'm like talking about waking up at seven, calling into work before that so you can plan a whole day out to drink by yourself. Like that's what I got into, um, and that's and it, and it happened because like when I was sober, I figured out like I was somebody that I didn't like. I wasn't worried about what other people were thinking anymore. It was like, oh man, you are a piece of shit. Like you wake up, and your day of planning is, is like, how am I going to get drunk? 
or like you, I do go to work and then I get home and I drink. Sure. Um, all that money that you could have saved and you spent it on whiskey all the time, every weekend, every day, every night. Um, it just adds up. And so I've had things explained to me several times because I've been through, you know, numerous treatment centers and I've talked to counselors and um, I got into therapy for a while and found a good one that I really, really liked. And uh, like, it just came down to like, I was living like insanity, man, definition of insanity, you know, doing the same thing over and over and over, but expecting a different outcome. I was doing that like full sure. bore. I was just doing the same thing and thinking like, you know what, I'll get it figured out one day, but today's not the day. So let's go. Let's, mm -hmm. let's rage, man. Let's go to the bars. And it didn't matter where I was, what state, what town. And at that point, it's like you have nobody else to blame but yourself. But sure. I wasn't, all I was trying to do was avoid that guilty conscience the next day that it, when, when it would come in, I wanted to avoid that. And it would usually end up with me either going and smoking some weed when I still did or, or getting just blackout drunk all day long. Even, even then, um, you know, during the earlier years of it, did you feel some sort of responsibility to yourself that like shit, I did this, like I lost my job. I was the reason that uh, my relationship ended or did you put the blame on other people? Like, well, they, they fired me and, and. Oh yeah. Yeah. I went with the blame game for sure. Yeah. Um, those thoughts went through my mind. Like, yeah, this is your fault, but it's always easier when you're an alcoholic or an addict, an addict with any, any substance, whatever it is. And you're, you're in the spot that I was at. <clears throat> it's so much easier to point fingers at other people. And, and I was a master manipulator too, which is like the worst, some of the worst parts of it is like, I was really good at making people believe that like I wanted to quit and it wasn't my fault. Family, friends, girlfriends, like it's, it's, it's crappy to think about and it's going to be for a long time. You know, um, there was a lot of relationships and I'm not talking about girlfriend relationships. I'm talking about like family and friends, all of it that were really destroyed and people that, you know, we, I don't speak with now, uh, because of how crappy I was and because all they saw was Jordan trying to just blame other people and manipulate sure. other people. Um, and you know, you, you, you think about those things, but it's like, I don't want to be guilty. I don't want to feel guilt. I don't want to feel shame. Like, no, I'm just going to keep riding this out. Like I would tell myself, you're just an alcoholic, man, but that's just how it is. Runs in my family, uh, more on my dad's side, F to my knowledge, you know, if I dug deeper on both sides, it's there, but like, it was, it was more on my father's side. And, um, I used that as an excuse for a long time, you know, and I know that hurt him too. And, uh, but I, I would use any excuse I could find to not let myself feel so guilty the next day. You said that at that time, like you did not like who you were sober. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you felt while, when you were, you know, using alcohol, when you were, when you were drunk, like, was it like a, a, a boost of confidence or like, what, what, what was the feeling like as far as how you felt about yourself when you were drunk? Alcohol gave me a high that like, I think hard drugs probably would give people like I've done Coke before. Um, but like I always preferred alcohol because it did something to my brain. It hit that switch and I was just like on a permanent high. Mm -hmm. I could talk to anybody. I could go do anything I wanted. I always had to get in my car, which is why I'm in the situation I'm in now. You know what I mean? Um, it just, it made me forget about things that I didn't, I just really didn't want to think about. I had no worries when I was drunk unless like, unless I was about to get into a fight and then I would have that moment like, oh man, this guy's going to be my ass. But then I would just use scare tactics and, you know, you, you come off stronger than you are because you're, you got that liquid courage, liquid courage. What is like, that's a good sum up for me. Yeah. And like, I know a lot of people have used that same phrase because it's so real liquid courage, man. It was like euphoric for me. And then you talked about the OWIs. You talked about, you know, loss of, of friends and loss of jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, as things continued to get worse before they got better, what were some of the other consequences of, of your addiction? Separation from family. 
and that was really hard. <clears throat> um, I would just, I knew I was doing, doing them dirty and, uh, it's, um, it, there's still lasting effects right now. Like, uh, with my siblings, we don't talk very much. Me and my parents, we, we talk, but I, I can still feel the lack of trust. Like it's not there. The full trust isn't there and it's so early, you know, um, my one year mark will be September 19th of this year. Um, but before that it was always like 60 some days or 80 some days. And, uh, one thing that I always did was got the spotlight off of me long enough for these people to believe in me again with their full heart and like invest in me again. And then I would come across some money and some freedom and I'm in hotels by myself, like just getting wasted with no agenda. Don't care what happens mm -hmm. when I wake up, I'll deal with it, which was normally like, all right, go buy, go buy some more alcohol. And you know, I was a whiskey guy and it, it was like, go, go get some whiskey. And if I couldn't afford it, that's when the beer would pop out and get as much as I possibly could. Um, creating that distance with family <clears throat> was the, was the worst part for a long time. Um, you know, being in your upper twenties and having to move back in with your parents because you moved in with a girl you were dating. And then four months later, she's like, you need to get out of here. And I'm like, Oh my God, this again, come on. Hey mom, can I, yeah, yeah. You know? And then, uh, eventually those people start realizing that they're like enablers in your life. Mm -hmm. And so I got dealt with, um, tough love. You know, always, always, always had support from my family. But at, at a certain time, it's like, okay, we have to stop doing this because he's just going to keep using us. And um, I'm thankful for it now. I am. But uh, when you're going through making like amends, whether you're in AA and you got a sponsor, because I, I don't have a sponsor right now. I'm not attending AA meetings. Um, I, I go to church and I think my relationship with Christ has worked tremendously. It's grown a lot. And we can get into that more whenever, but, um, losing family <clears throat> that you like genuinely care about, like, cause I'm a, I'm a good person. I have a big heart and I have a soft heart, you know, I always have. So now being sober, your emotions start to expand and you feel everything, everything. Um, I now see vulnerability as a strength. So I'm kind of okay with talking about all that stuff or I wouldn't be here today, you know, like sure. I want to help other people. Acts of service is a big thing for me. I, I want to get into fields like that and, and help people figure out maybe when they were 14 or 15, like I can say, Hey, you got this road to go or you can go to the right. But if you go to the right, chances are you're going to lose all that stuff that I lost too, because I just didn't care enough. I didn't ask for the help. Um, some situations, the help wasn't really there. But it always is if you dig enough, you turn another corner or you, you know, you just keep reaching out. There's a lot of help in different places, but yeah, lo lo losing family relationships, it, it feels like you lose people that love you and then they don't love you anymore, you know, which is still bullshit because they're always going to love you, but sure. they don't necessarily want you around anymore. And that was tough because there was a moment where like, I didn't talk to anybody in my family. I was talking to another friend of mine that also had some, some issues with alcohol that she was telling me about. And she was like, you will have like, you will hit rock bottom before it gets better. And, and she has like a specific date, a specific like instance where she was like, this is the worst it's ever been. I have to get better. Mm -hmm. Was there an event or an instance for you like that? Where you're like, what was it that you were like, fuck, I have to get better. Um, when I got arrested last year, September 18th, um, got that third offense OWI. And as most people in Iowa know that that's, that's a felony charge. Um, so I knew I was going back to jail for sure. And I had a really good feeling I was going to prison and I did. Um, but like the worst part of it, that was my rock bottom. Um, so 18th of September, I go to jail at that same time, my grandfather, uh, my grandpa, Kenny, which is my mom's side, uh, her father here in Iowa, he died of leukemia and it happened really fast. I, I spent like 191 days in County jail 
in 2022 because of drinking, because of drinking. Yeah. And, um, had some great opportunities approach me in between that. But then I was in a Madison County jail and I got a phone call and my mom was on the phone. She's like, we just found out that your grandfather has like six months to live. This was July. And then September I'm out. I had just completed a 28 day program for more treatment. And I went to Greenfield to be with him. And within three days I was like, yeah, I can't be around this anymore. So I left and went and got drunk in Des Moines with a friend. Um, not a friend anymore for reasons, but like, yeah. So he died a week after it was literally that Sunday after the Sunday I got arrested. Um, my dad came to visit me in jail. And at this point I'm in a Dallas County. That's where I got sent to for the third offense. And you don't get to see people in person. So I'm seeing my dad on this stupid ass little tiny screen on the wall mm -hmm. with all these other dudes that smell and are annoying and like, Everything about jail is designed to make you not want to be there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you spend 191 days in places like that without your loved ones, sleeping on a bed with no pillow, people that treat you like shit to get a reaction out of you. And you know damn well you cannot retaliate in any way or it's more trouble. Yep. Um, my dad had to come tell me, in that setting, your grandfather is gone. Okay, so fast forward to December. December 7th, I am on my way to prison. And uh, by the 16th phone call, my dad's father passed away. Jesus. Um, retired Marine captain. So it's a 21-gun salute, huge ceremony. Um, you know, um, it, those, those were some of the two most important people in my life. And at that point, when you lose those people and all you have to do is sit in this crappy bed around a bunch of people you don't like. So you're not leaving that area. Mm -hmm. All you do is sit there and think and reflect, Yeah. which in the long run turned out good for me. But at that moment, like, man, you better believe I had so many ideas and moments where I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to kill myself. If I could just figure out how to do it in here without getting bothered by somebody, it's happening. Um, because I, I just like, man, I just lost the most important people in my life. And I don't think I ever told them that they were the most important, influential people in my life. My grandpa, Kenny, um, every time he would see me when he knew my alcohol was getting bad, he'd just like grab me by the shoulders and two words, be good. And I didn't know what he meant at that point, you know, and then getting so getting sober and reflecting and, and like really doing some soul searching. Um he just wanted me to be good. He wanted me to treat people good. He wanted me to live better because he saw potential in me. You know, like to most of my family, I'm Jordy, right? That's like a oh little name. Well, it's because like that, like Jordy, I guess, opposed to Jordan. Jordy's the little family guy yep. that loves everybody that like grew up wanting to help everybody. And then you got Jordan who's out getting just shit face drunk and not caring about anyone. And mm -hmm. anytime they want to help him with money, he uses what he can on alcohol. And there was so much more meaning to just two words. And, uh, you know, I didn't ever get to sit down and be like, Hey, I understand what you're saying now. Now mm -hmm. it, it, I, I say it, I speak to him, you know, and I feel him. I get to experience that part now. I get to experience moments where I can feel my grandpa Kenny and I can feel my Papa Bovi around me. Um, but though that that's been my rock bottom was losing those two while I was inside of a prison facility in a county jail, being treated like crap. You're a number. You get state food. The cheese doesn't even melt if you put it in the microwave. Like you're eating dog food equivalent mm -hmm. to it's food equivalent to dog food. But again, it's designed they don't want you to keep coming there do you have any plans or expectations for when you hit that year mark like do you, is there something that you want to set a new goal for or is there something that you're, you hope uh happens after you hit that mark well um i do want to collect a one-year chip sure. i know a lot of people in aa still um and that's a big moment you know, yeah. but for me, I still don't, I don't really like the praise. I'm, I've changed a lot as far as my comfortable levels. Um, when it comes to AA, I didn't like being around people our age, my age. Um, I needed to be around the old school dudes that had 25 years of sobriety 
and and you knew they weren't i mean you don't ever know but like you had a pretty darn good feeling that this dude's not going to show up at the meeting tomorrow and collect a a, a 24-hour chip after having 25 years their their wisdom has helped me a lot um I, I, I know I want to do that, but as far as like a celebration and, and like, excuse me, hey guys, look at me, I got one year. It's not, it won't be anything like that um, because this is just the very, very beginning. It's like one of them iceberg moments. Yeah. Tip it over and see how much more is underneath, like what you actually see, but what's underneath of that iceberg. Um, I have so so much more to go life like i want to be sober for life you said uh you talked earlier about how you wanted um how you kind of wanted to help others get Mm -hmm. there and uh Mm -hmm. so do you have any sort of plan or do you want to be i I guess a counselor later on to kind of help others that way or is it just more like a personal just Oh, no, no. I mean, there's a personal side to it for sure. Um, But like I've taken as of right now, like so I'm writing a book about my life. Like it's going to be like an autobiography. And uh, my father is the one who talked me into this. I there's a lot of stories that I don't know how many people really know about it. You know, there's just so much. We would be here for that 48 hour podcast guaranteed if I just started trying to tell you everything that happened. And um I've been blessed, man. I've been saved. Like every arrest was a rescue, another rescue mission from God. You know, um, there's so many things that I've been involved in that a lot of people do not know about. And I started opening up to my dad about some of this stuff. And I mean, he's an emotional man too. Like I'm a carbon copy of my father and a lot of attributes. And he's like, you, you have so much to tell somebody and you don't even know who it will touch. You have no idea. You know, I, I told a few family members about this experience here because I was genuinely excited to actually sit down and talk like in a public setting. This is huge for me because if someone is struggling and, and they know, like, I remember Jordan Bovey, that dude didn't give a fuck about anyone, but now he's, I'm almost a year sober and I mean it and I feel it and I want it. And all the things that I've overcome and days that I woke up thinking like, this is just how it's going to be. I'm never going to get any better. And then I did get better. Little by little, I got better and stronger. If anything, I'm a fighter, 100%. And if I can help someone else feel that way and do that, just keep fighting to stay the course. Don't ever end the fight. Like, I want to be that person for them, Um, which is why I'm writing this book. I've always liked to write. I think... I think I realized that in Miss Livingston's class in high school that like, damn, I'm a good writer because for some reason I started writing in all caps and normally she's like punctuality, uh, uppercase, lowercase. She's like, you know what, you know what you're doing and it makes sense. And she didn't bother me about it, you know? Um, but I was very poetic and, uh, (laughs) writing this book, it feels so much better when you put words on the paper unless you've done it or if you like to journal, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like I journal every single day, every day I have probably over 50 letters that I've written for my son. I have a son. He's out in Maryland. The reason I'm not there is because of alcohol, because of my actions and my choices with alcohol. You know, he just turned two. I've met him one time and I, yeah, I don't know what it, I don't know how to be a dad, but I know damn well I want to be one. And if I can stay sober, he'll never have to see the stuff that other people have had to see. He'll never have to see like drunk dad because that's a lot of stuff that people can't handle. And I don't even know if I could handle it anymore, you know. Um, so in this book, I have so many journals right now where like, I started journaling before I ever went to a treatment center about things that I was doing and feeling. I was always in touch with my emotions. I just didn't want to tell people them, you know? Um, so I have a lot of stuff to piece together and figure out how to word it. And like, where do I start? What's the middle going to be like the ending? But um, I hope to actually have it finished someday. And even if it doesn't get published with a nice pretty cover and a publisher, all this fancy stuff, like, somebody's going to read it someday 
And even if it's just somebody in Greenfield or up in Des Moines or whenever I move back to the East Coast, like if it changes a life, then that was a success, you know? And and that's not for me. That's for that person that read it and felt like, okay, I'm not going to kill myself today. Or, wow, this dude survived how many car accidents and over end and, and was doing these types of things, running around Baltimore, just looking for trouble. And, um, I, a lot of things happened to me in Baltimore that I've told nobody about, you know, there's, and that stuff's just going to have to wait yeah, until if, and when somebody reads that book, you know, but I, I want to go around and speak back to what you were saying. I would yeah. like to go and speak to youth and that's going to be my target age when I start out, you know, man, to be like a, on a Ted talk someday, that'd be amazing. Would you say, go back to Nottoway Valley and, and, and take the stage in the auditorium and and talk to people there? Yeah, for sure. I would like, I, I think the only place that I wouldn't go and I have my reasons. I don't know if it's great or good or whatever, but they're my reasons. I will. I can't go back into a jail setting and talk to people the way that some of them do. That's I, understandable. Yeah. And kudos to those people that do because some of those guys need to hear it, you know. But for me, I don't ever want to be back in there again. Ever. That's good. Ever, man. Um, you yeah. talked about your one-year anniversary being in September. I'm mm-hmm. doing the math right. That coincides with your third OWI. Mm-hmm. Um, was that you? And you also talked about you know both of your your grandfather's passing away. Was mm-hmm. was would you call that the catalyst of like I need to get better? Is yes. like I'm I'm missing out on very important people in my life. This is why I need to get better. Or what were some other catalysts that are like I I have to kick this addiction? Well. Um, so when I met my son's mom, she, my son's mom is the reason that I did all of this and I didn't do it for her. That's not what I mean. I mean, she's the one who pushed me enough to be like, I got to do something different. Mm -hmm. And even though it took me a while to get it figured out, she, she was the one that said the right thing. Unfortunately, saying and, 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 and the doing was we're four months pregnant and then I get kicked out of the house because I'm an alcoholic. She, she had struggled with alcohol um, and she beat it. She, well, you don't ever beat it, but she's still, she's six, six years sober. So she's yeah. doing wonderful. Um, she's a wonderful mom. And uh, without her, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be here. A hundred percent. I believe that. And it's not like, God, I hope she hears this. So she takes me back. <laughs> In a perfect world, that'll be what the the, the end game is. Yeah. You know, do I want to be back with her? Absolutely. Am I have in love you, with her still? Yeah, but have you told I, her any of this, or have you? Spotty. Does she know? Yeah, bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, she she's she's very hurt. She's uh, you know, I I, I crushed her pretty bad. Sure. Um, like I said, she went through alcohol, fought it for her own time and went through her own things with it. So when I came into this, I made a bunch of promises. Um, she already had a son and I got attached to him. So it's not just her and I, she had a little boy to protect already. And, uh, you know, I fell for that. I, I love that boy too. Still to this day, um, I would do anything to be back there with him. I spent the better part of a year with them. And um, yeah, she... Right now, it's like she doesn't want to hear. She wants to see. She wants to see things happen. Now, um, and I know, I know this is probably going to be a difficult question to answer. Um, you said, I ideally, like that would be the the end game. the The goal would, hey, get back together with her, be a part of my son's life, that kind of thing. Do you think that is a realistic possibility or is it just, you know, best case fantasy scenario? I think at this point, the safest response I can give you is that's like a best case scenario. Sure. Um, you know, by the off chance she does find this episode, I don't want to make her mad. So if you are mad, I'm sorry, but, um, no, all, all truth. Um, right now, like she, I'm fully aware that she knows 
what my feelings are, but my intentions right now are to just stay sober and learn how to be a father. Um, just recently, our communication has started to happen again, and um, she's allowing me to FaceTime my son. So that's a crazy experience. The first time I, she told me I could FaceTime him, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then I called my dad. I was like, dude, what do I do? I get to FaceTime <laughs> Oliver. He's two. He has no idea who I am. What do I say? You know, I'm going to cry and I'm going to like, what if I pass out? Cause like, I'm so emotional still, but now I'm sober dealing with these emotions. And <laughs> it, it was, it went really well. I didn't pass out. I didn't cry until I hung up the phone. Yeah. Uh, and he blew me a little kiss after like right oh. at the end of the video, man. And, and like, that's her showing me grace because I damaged very touching parts of her. Like I just, I was an asshole, man. I didn't care about anybody. And there's a lot of progress and a lot of work that needs to be done in order to just move forward. You brought up a subject that I wanted to touch on mm -hmm. is that you're a very emotional person yeah. and you dealt with those emotions for the longest time with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Now that you don't have that, how are you, how are you coping with those uh, emotions? What are the what are the coping mechanisms that you're using now as as a sober man? Um, my relationship with God, uh, journaling. I reach out to people now. Um, <sighs> books. You know, I like. Um, I had a book recently called "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins. I love David Goggins. Fortunately, someone stole it from me while I was at Fort Des Moines, which was my landing spot after prison. But I was like, oh, maybe this person, whoever it is, needed it more than me. And I hope they're still reading it because it's amazing. Um, a lot of self-help books. Um, I'm just recently kind of back out in, in the community, you know, and uh, started a new job. And so I'm trying to get my feet on the ground and, and settled. But uh, I, I just I pray a lot. I talk to God. I talk to my grandfathers, both of them. And I just reach out, you know, um, and nine times out of 10, those people answer. I have a couple good friends that still answer and have always been there for me, just checking in. Um, I'll reach out to them sometimes. Sometimes I won't because I don't want to be like, ah, you know, it's a Monday at eight in the morning. Dude, I'm having a hard time. It's like, bro, it's Monday at eight. Let's just see what this date goes like and then talk to me after, you know, um, but a lot of it really is like, it's, it's, it's my outlook on life has changed. Um, I'm, I'm better at solving problems on my own while being sober. I have coping mechanisms. Now I have skills that I have learned out of all of the treatment programs that I did go to, even though I hated them all at the time, I still picked something up from them. And, um, I remember words that people would say to me. And, uh, so this most recent thing that, um, I'm big on these positivity sayings. The most recent thing that got told to me was by somebody from the fort that works there. And he was like, I was listening to this podcast the other day and I can't remember who it was, but he's like, you need to be like a coffee bean. And I was like, what are you, what? He's like, yeah, man, you're about to get out of here. I just wanted to share this with you, you know, and I take some hot water and you have a, oh, an egg pasta and a coffee bean. And he said, when you put pasta into boiling water, it gets soft and gooey and mushy. Then you take an egg, turns into like a hard boiled egg, right? Well, then when you put a coffee bean into hot boiling water, it changes the water around it. Now, if you're like an overthinker, you're going to be there like, okay, well, the water changes and all those other things too. But like, <laughs> if you think about it simple and motivational, like you need to be a coffee bean because like you, you didn't change your surroundings. Um, cause you're not always going to have those people that are going to answer the phone. You know, you're not always going to, maybe you forgot your notebook like I did today, you know, and you just got to wing everything you're talking about, but you're not always going to have these resources. So at some point you have to figure out how to be independent and strong on your own. And that's really kind of like what I'm trying to do, especially for when I do go back out to Virginia where our, my family is. Um, and then my son will be in Maryland two hours away. Um, I want to know that like, if I end up by myself, you know, 
if the whole fantasy life doesn't happen for me, then I'm going to be okay still being just a father to him and a figure and a co-parent and, um, you know, be there for my son's older brother too. Like you have to be okay with yourself. Um, you know, a, a lot of people talk about that. If you're not happy with yourself, what are you going to do for someone else? And drinking every single day, that's not going to get you anywhere. I don't care who you are. It, it just won't. You know, some people have a problem. Some people don't. So that's obviously different. But when you're doing it the way I was doing it and you ended up in prison at 30. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to do something different and stick with that or you're going back there. You're either going to end up dead or you're going to just live in prison in and out. And I don't want that. I want my son to know who I am. Um, I I want to keep figuring out who I am and what I'm capable of. Because I know there's potential, of course. But if I drink again, if I take one drink, it's going to end up badly. I will probably go to jail that same night or day. Whatever time it is, I guarantee I will. Because that's how my brain is wired. Some people can have a cocktail in the morning and then go back to work. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't advise it, but like some people do it, man, because yeah. they don't overdo it. But that's not me. I always overdid it. I didn't, I did it to get drunk. I was always trying to get drunk. What are some of the, what are some of the hobbies or activities that you've done, uh, you know, now that, you know, you're, you're sober and not drinking? Like, do you, you said you write. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you draw? Do you, um, work out? Do you, do you play video games? Do you watch movies? Like stuff like that? Um, so I'm, I'm not a gamer and I'll, I'll watch, you know, Netflix and your occasional TV shows now. Um, but also like right now at this point in my life, I just started a new job with R3 roofing and exteriors and, uh, going in sales and then trying to fast track to that project manager position. Yeah. Roofing roofing was my first job. I, I know a lot about it. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it, you know. I actually might have just gotten my first sale today. I'm waiting to hear back from my closer to see if he got the job done. And if he did, that's money for me right there. And it's the first oh, yeah. like your first step to success, you know what I mean? So it's very exciting. Um so like work is 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 actually gonna be a hobby of mine because I do enjoy it. I enjoy learning. I've noticed, like, I was never a big reader, but I enjoy reading if I'm learning about something. Um, of course, I like pretty much every military book there is out there. Um, working out, yeah, yeah. I haven't been in a gym for a very long time, but the people that do know me know that that was a major part of my life and my confidence for a long time. You know, I hit moments in my life and my weightlifting career that I never thought were capable for me. And man, I miss that feeling. I miss feeling like just untouchable, but in a good way. Walking in the gym and like knowing you're about to just have the best hour of your life. And 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 I was a morning, I liked to work out in the morning. So you feel that when you wake up. Mm -hmm. So I'm a routine guy. That's something that I will absolutely touch on. Like having a routine is really going to be important for anyone that wants to try and get sober or change a habit. You you have this you have to have a plan when you wake up. You need to have a plan of how you're gonna achieve that that day. Whether it's like, all right, I'm just going to wake up and make my bed. Like, I'm sure a lot of people have seen that long interview talk from the Navy officer where he's like, make yep. your bed. It's, I feel him on that, man. I wake up and I make my bed and you leave something that looks nice. And then you show up to work on time. Don't be late. You know, you, if you have an appointment with someone, show up to that appointment. Don't make promises and, and, and then like not be there for them. You know, and that was a lot of the stuff that I personally was doing in my addiction to alcohol was making a lot of promises and just blowing them off completely because I just never had, a, I didn't have a plan yet, you know, and, and then like I said, you know, once it was clear, clear, clear to me that I had to make a change, then I tried to start planning on how I was going to do it. It just took me a while and going to prison was the best thing that could have happened to me. It sure. wasn't very long. Thank God. Like I have so much to thank God for. And I do, I think I'm every morning I wake up and like every day I get to go back to bed sober, you know, it, it's just possibilities are absolutely endless. 
you know, and, and I understand that not everybody is a God person and, and that's fine. You know, I'm probably not going to sit and talk about the other side of that, but like maybe, and when I get further in my, when I get further in my sobriety, maybe I'll run into other people that can word that part of it better. And then maybe I'll feel comfortable talking about it. But like, for me, it's Jesus all the way, man. Sure. Like, because it helped me so much. And that's my Virginia family is like a big unit and they got me to accept Christ back into my heart when I moved back out there in 2019. And, and, and there's been little miracles ever since I decided to actually accept Christ in my heart again. And, and I don't say that just to sound good. I mean it. I really mean that. And I will sit down and talk to anybody that wants to like after this, whoever hears this whole podcast, contact me, just find me on Facebook. And if you have a question, I'd be happy to answer it. Because I'm like, this is what I'm going to be about, you know, helping people. It might not be a full-time job. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be a counselor. I don't know, though. Maybe one day I wake up and I'm like, this is it. I'm you, doing it. You're like traveling the country speaking. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I want to, I just want to help someone not go through what I did have to go through and not feel the things that I had to feel because it's miserable. And it's not a life that anybody should have to live at all. I think... I think having a, a, a positive attitude, and I don't mean just like, a, just, yeah, this is going to be good. Uh, you know, I, I don't think projecting a, a positive outlook, a positive attitude towards something uh, will do the job, but I think genuinely just wanting that positive change mm-hmm. and having that positive mindset mm-hmm. does so much and with you uh you know accepting jesus and and just really fully believing that in in probably the most like purest way really really helps Mm -hmm. get you along rather than just hey i i can do this like no you genuinely and i'll like authentically believe. So mm. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. As we get to the end of our hour, you were, you did talk to me about being a little nervous. This is the first time that you've talked about a lot of this publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, as we close out, how do you feel now that all of this is off your chest and out there in the world? There's so much more to the actual yeah. story, you know, that I would be glad to continue talking with anybody that wants to hear more about it. And, look out for that book like it's happening you know it's in the making i'm gonna make i'm excited to make you release this yeah yeah Yeah. it 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 helps me continue to do the right thing because i know like all right if you go drink now you got this book that you've been working on you just throw that crap away and everything that you just spoke about like it it, keeps you accountable yeah accountability is huge and that's like that's a good thing to end on if if people are having troubles and they don't know what to do like Find somebody that can hold you accountable because like addiction is a life that nobody should have to live, but it is so hard to get out of. Don't be that person that starts losing the most important people to you in your life or losing a family. It's not, it's not worth it. Um, like I said, like I'm not giving my cell phone out to nobody, but you can hit me up on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find. And, um, yeah, I, I hope everybody, you know, does good. And if you do have a struggle, I hope you beat it and and just continue to live life. It's too beautiful not to not to enjoy it and and figure out just what what is like there at your fingertips. There's so many resources and things that can help you. Like you just you have to want it, really. That's you just have to want it and I know I do, so if anybody else does, like I can try and help you. Oh, we're patiently waiting. Uh for you to hit that year mark so i think yeah. i think i can confidently say uh speaking for austin and myself that we'd love uh to talk to you again after you hit that year mark just to kind of yeah yeah i'm down with that and... i bet you i find my journal by then yeah <laughs> <laughs> and this will go like way more scheduled and planned you know no uh, that'd no, be this great is perfect man yeah um that'd be great yeah i loved being here this is cool i've never done this before you know before this it's just talk because you have to and you're in treatment 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what? But a lot of that stuff, everything, I'm grateful for it all. Awesome. For man. sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely.